finally come to the uh, uh, the main text uh, uh, in Scripture on the qualifications uh, of the deacon, 1 Timothy 3, verse 8 through 13. Uh, these are the words of God. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, one of the reasons that we have gone through the entire book of 1 Timothy uh, to get to this point is to uh, place verses 8 uh, through 13 uh, of chapter 3 in their context uh, in a church that needed reformation, a church uh, in which there was much ungodliness due to uh, a permissiveness with who can teach and what they can teach and uh, Order in the church had gone lax, and then doctrine in the church had gone lax, uh, and then conduct in the church had gone lax. And so uh, Timothy has received a charge from Paul uh, to put these things uh, back in order. Uh, and one of the great things that is necessary then is the worship in the home and in the church. And uh, chapter 2 has really focused on that. Many of you have had the blessing uh, of seeing that when uh, the worship in the home uh, was reordered or ordered, uh, ordered well, uh, that the Lord blessed that to the, the theology, the way uh, you thought from the, your whole family began to uh, think about God and think from his word, uh, and not just your theology, but your conduct. As the Lord Jesus gives himself to you uh, by means of his word and uses uh, his truth in particular, to convince your mind and heart uh, of the things out of which flow uh, your lives. And so uh, chapter 2 had set this template for uh, praying uh, in the first part of the chapter and, uh, and ruling and teaching uh, that results in everyone uh, seeing what God has given them as their part, uh, that he is assigned to their role in the house, their role in the church, uh, and by way of that praying and that ruling and that teaching, uh, reformation would come, uh, not just to the order of the house and the church, not, uh, not just to uh, the fact that you have the worship, uh, but even uh, to the conduct and life uh, of everyone there. Well, uh, those who lead the, this uh, praying and uh, ruling, by this praying and ruling and teaching particularly, in the congregation uh, are the uh, bishops or overseers, and that's how we got into chapter 3. Uh, there's a good work then for the bishop or the overseer, the, the work of ruling and teaching and, uh, and leading in prayer. Uh, and for this good work, there was uh, a corresponding uh, set of qualifications, characteristics, graces that God gives to those through whom he is going to do that good work. But one of the things that overseers need, one of the things that bishops in the church need, is 
deacons. And we learned that back in chapter, uh, in, not chapter 6, uh, back in Acts chapter 6, didn't we? Uh, where the, the apostles who were functioning uh, as uh, elders in the church, they were doing this overseeing, they were doing this teaching, they were doing this prayer, uh, leading in prayer. Uh, in order to be able to give themselves to that, they needed uh, other men to oversee the distribution in that particular instance uh, to the widows, but to, to oversee the service in material things in the church. Uh, and the church is uh, in its uh, weakened state in Ephesus at the time that Paul wrote to Timothy uh, needed the same thing, not just uh, uh, bishops, overseers whom God had, uh, whom God had given uh, the character had grown, matured in their faith, that they might lead by this ruling and teaching and praying, uh, but also deacons uh, who might oversee uh, the service of the church in, uh, in material things. Hopefully, the result of the elders' ministry uh, that they are freed for will also be that you will have more of these doctrinally convinced believers who are now, by the word and truth of of Jesus having their mind and heart and life controlled, and they are eager to do godliness. Uh, and so uh, we have the connection uh, between the two. And, and the connection is expressed in the first word in verse 8, likewise. So the bishop has a good work to do, and he has character qualities uh, that belong to him. Likewise, uh, the deacons. Uh, now the deacons are overseeing uh, a work, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see that more uh, as we go along. But this is a necessary pillar uh, for the restoration of that order and prayer and preaching and ruling in the church and in the home, so that sound doctrine unto godliness uh, must also be restored. So, what must the deacon be? This is not just something that he needs to be as a man in order to become a deacon. This is a description of how he has to conduct himself uh, as a deacon. What, uh, uh, what must he be? Well, the first thing that he must be is reverent. Uh, both the deacon who is overseeing uh, this work must be dignified, noble, um, uh, serious, uh, not silly. Uh, and then we'll see that uh, any of the women, and particularly their wives, who are, um, who are doing the work that the deacons are overseeing, the same word is going to be used of them uh, in verse 11. Um, uh, beyond the, uh, the language of dignity and nobility here, which, by the way, it's, uh, uh, it's very similar to the, uh, to the word reverence in chapter 2 and verse 2, uh, it's very similar to the uh, the word reverence. Uh, this uh, remember the uh, the joyous fear of God um, uh, in the children who submit in verse four. Uh, it's a uh, it's another it's another form uh, built on the, the same root. Uh, but not only then uh, are they to be um, those who conduct themselves properly and. Uh, seriously, even uh, majesty of manner uh, may be uh, implied by this word. But someone who's worthy conducts themselves in a way that is worthy uh, of respect. Um, not only is his behavior 
uh, respectable. Uh, but you notice that this is the first qualification given him. This is the thing that characterizes him. Uh, he's, uh, uh, he's a man who conducts himself uh, in a res uh, respectable and respectful manner. Uh, the second thing the deacon must not be is, uh, and uh, our English version here has double-tongued, uh, the word actually means something uh, even closer to double-worded. Uh, in other words, he doesn't speak one way to, uh, to one guy to suit that situation, uh, and then uh, changes his tune, as it were, uh, when he speaks to another. He's consistent. He's impartial. Uh, it's very important for someone who is uh, making decisions about distribution of resources and uh, that, uh, that he would be someone who speaks straightly to everyone. Uh, he's, uh, he's not double-tongued or double-worded. Uh, deacons are going to have to deal with difficult situations. They'll often have to be deciding between uh, competing interests and multiple worthy causes. Uh, and so the consistency of conduct and impartiality um, are vitally important uh, for the deacon. He, he is not given to much wine. This is uh, different um, uh, different language, uh, but similar in concept to uh, verse 3. You remember the overseer was not someone who always had wine alongside him. Uh, this actually uses a verb for giving oneself over to, some, uh, to something. And you notice that uh, the word uh, much is, uh, is added here. Uh, he must be the, the sort of man who never gives himself over to much wine. Um, the, the deacon uh, is not necessarily then one who does not drink wine at all, obviously, uh, but he is always ready to exercise good judgment. Uh, so uh, you never know um, when a real-time decision is uh, going to need to be made in the exercise uh, of his office, uh, but it also... Uh, it also helps him uh, with one sort of uh, decision that he will have to make often. Uh, it is not a new thing uh, that those who are in financial need are often in that financial need because they have squandered their resources uh, on things like drink. Uh, and a deacon needs to be a man who does not have that in common uh, with those whom he is uh, those whom he is trying to help. Um, he's not, uh, he must be one who's not given to much wine. Uh, he must not be greedy for money. This is uh, the, the same word that takes the word for shameful and the word for gain and puts them uh, together in just uh, one word back up in verse 3. Uh, here, similar uh, to the elder who is overseeing or the bishop who is overseeing the ministry of the church and spiritual things, uh, the deacon who is overseeing the ministry of the church and material things, uh, must not be a self-interested person. You remember that this word for shameful gain described someone who uh, was primarily interested in advancing himself, whether financially, uh, as, a, as implied by our uh, bit of a paraphrastic uh, translation, 
uh, greedy for money here uh, in the New King James or in any other way, uh, whether advancing his reputation, advancing his influence, obtaining property or pleasure of some, uh, some other kind, always, uh, always seeking to uh, advance himself and therefore not ashamed of whatever will work out that way. Um, no, he must not be uh, such a self-interested man who always looking for an angle, um, uh, always looking for opportunity to advance himself. Uh, he must not be put in office where he'll have the opportunity to do that advancing of himself at the expense not only of the church generally, uh, but at the expense of those who are most needy particularly. Uh, we have, uh, you know, we have a, an example of that uh, writ large in our culture, uh, where those who are uh, who have styled themselves uh, in civil government to do something that civil government isn't uh, really designed to do, uh, but they style themselves as those who uh, take care of and help the needy, uh, but they're really just advancing themselves and. It doesn't bother them, um, at least not enough to stop, that their policies actually harm the needy whom they, whom they claim, to, claim to help. Uh, you know, one, of the, uh, one of the books that uh, uh, our diaconate will, uh, will read in, on continuing education uh, uh, once they are uh, installed is one called uh, When Helping Hurts, and it's just... Uh, common sense how not to harm someone by the quote-unquote uh, help that you give them. Um, we must resist the uh, we all must resist the temptation to value being liked by others more than we value actually doing them good. Uh, and of course we know this uh, uh, perhaps most of all with our children. There are many uh, times in which uh, we must be more willing for our children to feel negatively about a uh, decision that we have made uh, than, uh, than we are willing for our children to suffer our trying to uh, appease them. So he must not be uh, one who uh, is a man of shameful gain. How then does uh, the deacon... Uh, pursue uh, these characteristics. How are these produced in him? Well, he holds to the mystery of the faith uh, with a pure conscience. Uh, now, we use the word mystery to mean something um, uh, something that we uh, don't know. The, the word in the Bible uh, is used of something that God uh, had kept to himself and that we wouldn't know uh, merely from the creation uh, but that God has revealed to us. Something you know about God uh, that the only way we can know it is from his word. Uh, and here, this uh, mystery of the faith in verse 9 has its parallel in verse 16, the mystery of godliness. Uh, and it's the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, uh, God and man in order to save us. Uh, and... Um, the salvation, of course, being not just forgiveness, but to make us to be like himself. Uh, so one of the most important things for a deacon 
is that he believed the truth about Jesus Christ and that his, uh, his belonging to God by faith in Jesus Christ be the thing that has produced these characteristics, these qualities in him uh, in verse 8. Uh, in part because he's going to be leading uh, the congregation, overseeing the congregation and their works of godliness. And what do you have uh, when you try to have godliness without uh, the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth about the gospel? Um, when you divorce those things, uh, you end up, first of all, with something that must fail because true godliness can come only from Christ. Uh, and second of all, uh, you actually do people significant spiritual harm because when attempt at, at godly conduct is divorced from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, uh, we end up trusting in ourselves for godly conduct and praising ourselves uh, for the godly conduct. Uh, and that's the exact opposite uh, of, uh, of Christianity. Uh, and so it's very important then that the deacon be doctrinally sound not only for his own sake and his own good work and his own character, uh, but that what he would be leading and, and overseeing the congregation in would be genuine Christianity, uh, something that comes by faith in Christ, by union with him, Christ's own life in us, Christ's own uh, godliness in us. Uh, this is why it's such uh, a... Uh, trying to think of another word than abomination. It's a monstrosity. How about that? It's a monstrosity uh, when you have churches that are not uh, very serious theologically, right? The, the doctrines of the triune God and the incarnation and union with Christ uh, and uh, justification by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone and sanctification being a necessary outworking of that. You know, all, of the, all of that good and important foundational theology doesn't matter much to them, but they have all of these kind of social programs, these, uh, these uh, material or earthly outreach programs. That is a divorcing of, uh, of the theology that produces actual godliness uh, from the godliness. And it is, it is uh, a monstrosity. It is the church as a whole trying to have um, a diaconal service uh, uh, ministry or emphasis without, verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, uh, the, the mystery of godliness, uh, if you uh, look down at, at verse 16 where he, um, where he opens up even more the sound doctrine uh, that this Reformation in Ephesus uh, is supposed to be restoring uh, and preserving. Um, now, these are not the only qualifications of a deacon. Uh, we have other qualifications from our study uh, in Acts chapter 6. Um, uh, but the, the qualifications here uh, in verses 8 through 13 are all necessary qualifications. Uh, a man should have uh, each of them if he's, uh, if he's going to fill the office. Um, and I really thought we would... Uh, get further, but we started very late. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's go ahead and uh, uh, keep pressing on. Uh, verse 10, but let these also first be tested 
uh, and then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Um, there are uh, at least three different ways in which they are tested. Uh, one is they're tested in their own home, and we're going to get to that uh, in verse 11 and 12 in particular. Uh, if a man wants to, if a man is going to be called to oversee uh, service in the church, that should not be the first place he is called to oversee service. Uh, he, sh he should be a man who has overseen uh, service uh, in his home uh, first with wife and children uh, and so forth. Uh, also, he should not be uh, overseeing service in the church if he's never participated in service in the church. Uh, he should be tested uh, first uh, you know, in uh, at least in the first way in his own home, at least in the second way, as being one who does the service. Now, the office of the deacon is the one who oversees, uh, oversees service. They should not end up being the ones who do all of the serving. Uh, that misses, um, that misses uh, what our own confession, and I can't remember now, I think it's chapter 30 or 31, Anyway, the, the, the chapter on the communion of the saints uh, puts service to one another in, uh, in earthly needs as something that belongs to every believer uh, as an obligation. We are all obligated to serve one another in earthly and temporal things. Uh, uh, so he should be a man who has served well uh, under, uh, under the deacons, and then uh, he should be uh, a man who has been uh, been given opportunity uh, to lead things as well, uh, and has uh, and has done well in those things. So they should first be tested, um, and then they can serve in the office uh, that is being described here uh, as deacon, being found blameless. Now the word uh, blameless here is different than the word blameless uh, up in. Um, up in verse two, uh, this uh, this word is one that uh, is not and does not uh, does it does apply to character, but it is uh, it focuses uh, on uh, irreproachable conduct as well. There, um, uh, there. Uh, where do I have that here? Yes, it focuses on how well spoken of their service in the home, their service uh, in, the, in the earthly servant ministry of the church, uh, their service uh, as they have led things. Uh, so it's the, the specific actions uh, have been blameless. Uh, then afterward, they shall serve as deacons. Uh, in other words, uh, the men who have this conduct, the men who have been tested, uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is something that is presented uh, in verse 10, uh, not as optional, but as a command. There is a necessity uh, of having this, uh, this office. Uh, where our version reads, and it's uh, five words in the English, let them serve as deacons. Uh, it's just a single uh, imp imperative verb, a command verb from the root word for deacon. Uh, they shall deacon. Um, 
think we'll have we'll have to stop there. Sorry, that was a lot, but we didn't get started until 20 after. So we had to go fast to cover a lot. Are there any, uh, are there any questions from that? Uh, when, it does, uh, when it does come time for nomination, uh, I'll produce a sheet for you uh, that reminds you of the qualifications uh, here in verses 8 through 13 and the ones from Acts 6 uh, to, to help you. Uh, think through and consider consider that. Yes, ma'am. Um, the it seems strange. So be, being drunk with wine is listed as a sin. Mm. Much strange. We know that's expressly a sin, but then it's expressed as a qualification for you know not living in this sin. And it's kind of it's kind of is there any significance in that it's listed as a sin and then they explicitly list it? in the list of not you know, things you deacon can't do, but probably all the other sins are included too. <laughs> right, I don't know, it seems like an interesting overlap. Right, well there are, there a you, you can't have a uh, sinless man. Right. <laughs> you shouldn't have a man who's living unrepentantly in any sin, because that man should be under church discipline. Um, but, there, but there are particular graces uh, that are especially necessary for the work. And so those should be strengths. And there are particular vices that are especially disqualifying or hindering to the work. And so those must not be weaknesses. So we're so giving over seems to be an emphasis as well. Is giving over essentially at that kind of point. And man is given over to anything. It's probably not fit for an office. Should be on a church this time, I'm assuming. That word given over seems that an emphasis. I don't know the Greek though. Yeah. Um, he is wholly surrendered to something else. Something else is his master. Uh, it's it's a reflexive uh, it's a reflexive form of a verb that does mean give. So gives himself too much more. Uh, you might paraphrase it: indulges himself in uh, in much more. Sorry, just trying to uh, uh, discern the significance of one being listed as you know, a sin and, and also being listed on. Well, I, I think all of the qualifications, uh, you know, this is something we think of, especially with respect to the elder, because the elder is presented in Scripture as the example of godliness that the, the congregation should follow. Um, but I think all of, all of them are things that should be, uh, you know, all of the graces presented are graces that everyone is under obligation to. Well, all of the vices prohibited are things that everyone is on under obligation to mortify. Right, all of it. So, he should actually be what we're all called to pursue in Christ. Right, there's um, perhaps the, uh, the language or idea of maturity. Remember, that came in uh, also with respect to the elder or the overseer in Oh, well, we've been doing the last couple of weeks. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to, to listen. Um, but he wasn't to be newly planted and the, the dangers uh, the dangers of that.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us an entire world by which to enjoy your goodness and by which to reflect your goodness in what we do with the earthly things you have given us. And we thank you that you have given us your Son, who is more than heaven and earth and all that is in them, and then together with him, uh, given us all things. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, so bless the ministry of this congregation in things spiritual and things temporal, uh, that Christ might be much glorified by the display of your character in him and his character in us uh, as we are conformed to his image. Uh, help us now as we uh, come to gather to you, grant that, uh, that we would rejoice at this dress rehearsal for the last day when people from many nations uh, draw near uh, to you and grant that we would do so through Christ. In his name we ask it. Amen.